can see that we are sitting on the verge of eternity, that something is about to happen, a visitation is about to befall the earth, because, for example, the coronavirus, the prophecy I gave December 1, 2015, has totally devastated the earth and really, really changed life on this earth. And uh, the earth now is sitting at such a time, and I'm glad we're live on air so that uh, people who are out there can also partake of this. But uh, the coronavirus has almost redefined life on this earth, brought in a distress, employment in the marketplaces has been shaken, stability of nations, the same coronavirus shook the administration of Donald Trump out of the way. So this has been very impactive globally. And you can tell that the earth has never been this way before. And yet with many people looking for solutions at this hour, you stand at a very critical place as pastors and bishops. You are the people that uh, the populace should run to, will run to, to ask what do we do about this. We just had that report in the schools, how the infections going on in schools. And so every person is running for a solution, looking for a solution at this hour. And you are the one supposed to give solution to this generation. That's why I want to talk to you a little bit about the place you are at, the calling at this hour. Now, in this calling, I want to address some very important aspects of your calling. And this really applies even to the Christians. And I know that some bishops have been here in the previous three sessions. And they too can partake of this. That's why we're putting, putting it live on air. We have not done this then. But uh, in the calling you have, there are some things, there are some pertinent issues that uh, are very important for us to address at this hour because you find yourselves at a very unique place other than any other crop of bishops or pastors where the earth is shaken when you can tell vividly across the globe that uh, a visitation is coming. We are sitting on the verge of eternity. And the lead scripture I want to begin with today is the book of Acts. The lead scripture is in the book of Acts today. And I know that some people are tuned in probably in the city squares, in their offices, at home, in their shops, in their kiosks. I welcome you aboard, blessed people, blessed listeners. This is uh, the National Council of Bishops. And the College of Bishops, this is the governing body of the Ministry of Repentance and Holiness. And this is the place at which uh, tremendous deliberations take place on the different aspects of church growth, church development, on the profile of this uh, revival of repentance. So if you are a guest, you are welcome, those tuned in. We've decided to extend it to you a little bit because of the message I'm going to share which might be of great value to you too. 
to the book of Acts chapter 20, if we are to begin from there, to give us a headway on your calling at this time. Acts 20, I'm reading verses, verse 24. I could start verses 22. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is now Paul speaking. And you have to understand that he was trying to rush, make his way to Jerusalem. And so he, he didn't have enough time to cross over to where he had planted churches in Ephesus. So he summoned the elders. This is an address to the elders, to the pastors, to the church leaders that he had raised. And this speech is going to be very important to you also. He had raised, so he wanted to make it in good time to Jerusalem. So he invited them to meet him at a place. And then quickly instruct them on how to run the affairs of the Lord. And then he could now cross over to Jerusalem without much ado, much delay. So verse 22, we could even start 17, but 22 says, That and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship, again, prison and hardships are facing me. So he could see this, he could see the dreams as he was crossing to be in good time for the festival in Jerusalem. But he could see that there was hardship uh, facing him ahead. The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. They are ahead of him. And from this we are going to take a very important motif, a very important piece that can really instruct your ministry that uh, where you are seated now, you cannot sit blindly. You have to be aware of certain tenets that constitute the calling that you behold and a certain composure, position, or demeanor that the Lord requires of you to be able to achieve and perform. So this becomes a very important text for us tonight. It says, I only know, verse 23, I only know, again, Acts chapter 20, I'm reading 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life not worth, now verse 24, which is our lead scripture, is that is how it starts. It says, however, I consider my life not worth, my life worth nothing to me. My aim, my only aim is to finish the race. So he brings in a race. He makes it, uh, he uses the synonym of a race, people running a race. And I want you to look at yourself eventually within the same position. Again, he says here, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And we know the task that the Lord Jesus has given him. That is the same task the Lord Jesus has given you. The task to bring out the gospel of Jesus. The task to speak to this generation about Jesus. The task to make sure that everybody gets to know that Jesus is Lord and without Him there is no Savior. The task 
everybody in this generation, your task to make everyone in this generation understand that we were given the gospel, salvation has come to man. The salvation of grace, as you're going to see shortly, and that there is a way out no matter the situation that has befallen the generation. The task for you to bring it to this generation that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is also the healer. And there's no better place where that testimony resounds so strong than here. Where creepers are walking, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the mute can speak, paralytics walk, spinal cord injury is healed. You know, so you, you bring this solution to them. So your mission is the same mission he was given here. Say, so the task to bring to this generation that Jesus Christ is Lord that he is the savior of the world and is the solution for this earth, for this generation. And so he goes on to say again, as I continue again, verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus Christ has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So he already lays it out for you there. I don't want to handle his life, first of all, for now, your life. He says he considers, in, in the face of this mission, he considers his life worth nothing. That, that's going to be our main conversation here tonight. But he's saying that there is a duty, there is a task laid before you, before him, as he's running this race. And in that task, he says, he finds that he's running a race. And in that task, he finds that he has to bring the gospel to the nations. And in the process, he says, that gospel comes with testimony. So he has to testify. To testify on behalf of that gospel. And I think there's no better congregation or better conference I should be speaking to in that direction than you because indeed you have testimony you have testimony that this Christ Jesus of Nazareth he saves he saves from sin and then unto you is even added the greater testimony that this Christ Jesus of Nazareth he indeed heals, he also heals so there's no better congregation again, like I said, to be able to testify. So he's saying that bringing the gospel of Jesus to the nations or to your generation, this generation, involves testimony. And if you ask the lawyers who are sitting here, they will tell you that testifying is essentially like stepping forward and taking an oath. So he's talking about something that you have felt you are aware of, you know, you have experienced, you know, you can never testify unto something that has not touched you or, has, or you have no knowledge about. You are not experienced. So to be a testigo in Spanish, a testimony, a witness in other words. So he's saying that those testifying, those bringing the gospel would have to be born again, having been changed by the very gospel. So then you are able now, as you bring the gospel, to testify. You can testify. And if you can go deeper, testimony is like taking an oath. 
that you are going to stand by what you said, even unto the end. So this is such a powerful platform again to address the council of bishops tonight that there is no way you can testify or the pastors under you can testify except that they too, they themselves, the gospel has changed them. And if you look at the present generation of church, you find that that is the main problem. That people have gone out to attempt to minister or to convert the world when they themselves were not converted. So the world converted them back to the world. But he's saying that in this mission of bringing the gospel, that the gospel involves testifying. Yes, it is true. I saw a cripple get up and that cripple is walking until today. And this is the video of before and the video of after. Yes, indeed, this Jesus of Nazareth not only saves, but also heals. Or it is you that has been healed. And so he says quite a bit here. He says, again verse 24 of Acts 20 says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying for the good news. So you see that. So you testify on the gospel as good news. Salvation has come to man. There is a way out. And it says here of the grace that you tell them about the grace that Jesus has brought. The grace of God that has been revealed to humanity. And so what does this entail really? If I could go off the cuff a little bit on this with your focus. Uh, he's essentially saying that the mission, the mission that Jesus has given you, has given him, has given you too, is essentially a mission of declaring to men that all men have sinned. They have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all men are sinners. And in that context of the sin of man, God is holy. And the transcendence of God demands that he separates from sinful man. So, man has fallen. Man is sinful. Is in sin. All men have fallen to sin. And number two, that the Lord God, their creator, is holy and separated from sin. And that when he is holy and separated from sin, heaven where he wants you to go to is holy and also separated from sin, sanctified from sin. So God and heaven are separated from sin. And that you as mankind, that is the gospel you ought to be taking. This is what I'm talking about. That's the gospel he was taking. And that you as a sinner, you deserve death. You deserve to pay for the penalty, pay for your sin. And to be thrown into hell, the lake of fire. That that is what you deserve. That is the gospel you are taking out, the gospel of Jesus. 
You are taking out a gospel that says man has fallen to sin. God is holy and separated from sin. Heaven, where he wanted you to be, is holy and separated from sin. And that if you look at what the fallen man in sin deserves, he deserves death. Because the wages of sin is death and deserves to be taken to hell, thrown into the lake of fire. And then he says, however, now this sin that separates man from God, that the Lord in his own love sent Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when Christ Jesus came as Lord and Savior, he went to the cross. And the cross became the link. The link between fallen man and the Lord. That if you now believe and have faith, that everybody that will believe and have faith, they are now able to turn away from their sins and be reconnected back to their God and heaven. So, they will not go to the, the, the hell they deserved, but they will now enter the heaven they did not deserve. So that is now the grace they did not deserve. So, so this is what he's talking about here when he's saying he's sent, he's sent by Jesus to bring the gospel to his generation, to his people. That's what he's talking about. So make sure you don't touch my microphone at all. If you have, make sure you have not touched it. Because I can feel that it has gone down for some reason. But it's alright. It's okay. Thank you. So we're live on air. So um, he goes on again. Still the book of Acts chapter 20. So this is so powerful. The first part he says, verse 24 he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Look at that part. That that should be your narrative. That in the face of such an enormous gospel, in the face of such an enormous salvation, in the face of such an enormous mission of God, that you should consider your life worth nothing. Can you, can, let's just focus on this alone. He says, when he considers what Christ Jesus has done to deliver the gospel to the church, to mankind, he says, he considers his life worth nothing. And the Lord is saying that for you, the bishops, who are in the council, that this ought to be your position too. That unless or until you consider your life worth nothing, you are not yet able to follow Jesus. And you are not yet able to go serve Jesus. So this is a very important thing I'm throwing to the mix here, which becomes the most important instruction tonight. That for a generation that really highly values their lives, how can they be sent then? Because he says very clearly here that for you to carry this gospel, you must consider your life worth nothing. Totally nothing. And let me take it a step further so we can read from the book of Acts chapter 24, verse 13, to understand it even better. Right next to Acts chapter 24, verse 13. Hallelujah. It says the following. Acts 24. And tonight, there is such a big feast here, blessed people. That's also part of our reunion tonight. There is Kenyaji prepared, Kenyaji chicken. Uh, there is also fish which is roasted in, the, in deep fry. And then the skewers with beef fillet on the barbecue grill. And there is ugali, there is rice. 
and their cakes which have been prepared by Yaya Kilimani altar. There are lots of cakes brought here. There's ice cream. There's everything here. I just wanted you to be cheerful on that matter, right? Hallelujah. So it says, the book of Acts chapter 24 verse 13 I'm reading. It says the following. Acts 24 13. And they, again, Acts chapter 24, chapter 21 rather, but beg your pardon, 21 verse 13. Read 21, not 24. It says the following. Let me give you time. Acts chapter 21, 13, please. It says the following. Right next door. Then Paul answered. Then Paul answered. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I just wanted to bring that in to open up a little bit on this, not considering your life worthy at all for you to be sent. And I know we live at such a time when people are very self-possessed self-centered. The self-will is so big in this generation to the extent that they can hardly carry the gospel in the right way. So, if you take this, verse 21, the people Paul was talking to began to weep when he shared with them as we read in verse 20 again. Chapter 20 rather. Chapter 20, we read verse 24. Let me read it for you again. Chapter 20, verse 24, it says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. You see how much he was totally consumed on the mission. On the mission of the Lord. I read for you deliberately from verses 22 coming down where the Spirit of the Lord from city to city is pointing it out to him that in Jerusalem, what awaits you is chains. You are going to be in jail or to be killed. You are going to suffer. They are waiting for you. I mean, if you are in a place where I am today, where the two prophets of the Lord are, you get to know a lot of things before even they happen. Even this meeting, I could see how you are going to dress. I see quite a lot, you know. Even what people think, and you walk. So, so you get to know. So he was in that very position, where from city to city, the Lord was revealing to him that jail awaits him in Jerusalem. But he says, in the face of the enormity of the task, the duty, he's duty bound to go to Jerusalem. In the face of the enormity of the duty he has to bring the gospel to a perishing world, he says he will still go to Jerusalem. And he shocked them because he told them, as you see now in uh, 21 uh, 13, 21 13, he says beautifully here, again I read it, he says, again the book of Acts chapter 21 13, then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound and put in jail, in other words, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So, they were weeping at what was ahead of him when he shared with them. I'm, I'm slowly trying to get to your hearts that you may understand what entails, what it entails to be in your place, called of God and sent by the Lord. And I know that we are living in times when there's a lot of changing of season that's about to take place where it will be more difficult to preach the gospel. So step by step I'm trying to walk you into this understanding. And he's saying that as you bring the gospel of Jesus, it will require you testifying as to what you know about the gospel. Meaning from personal experience to give testimony. In other words, like standing and being a witness, giving oath in court. In other words, you will stand by that all the way to the end. That's what you say. You take the Bible and do that. So he's saying that is equivalent to that. And then he's saying that as you testify, you tell them about the grace of Jesus. But now he's saying also that there are some difficulties along the way. That if you are the carrier of the gospel as you are now, there are some difficulties you ought to expect. That uh, there is a lot of trials and tribulation that awaits you. That if you are going to be the carrier of this gospel in these days that are very wicked, expect a lot of resistance, in other words. Why? Because of the sinfulness of man. And he says, that resistance can come in terms of malice, blackmail, mockery, rejection, even by own family. Own family can reject you. So, so he's really addressing this entire bouquet, this whole combination of factors that can go a long way in impeding your mission. And that's why he's saying, in the face of that, even to the point of death in this particular case, you as pastors, you as bishops, you are the senior pastors in your churches. You are bishops, you are senior deputy bishops, you are deputy bishops, and you are bishops. But you are the senior pastors in your own altars, in your own churches. And he's saying that there is a benchmark raised here on the calling. That if you were to encounter resistance or a place to the extent that it threatens your life, are you still able to go? These are some of the most important issues he's raising here. Are you still able to go and say, Jerusalem, I'm still going. And Paul says here very clearly that, no, you see they were weeping. They were crying when they heard that her head is bad. You know, he had raised them. He had planted those churches. So he called them to give them his parting shot, his last instructions. And if you look at the instruction he gave, if you read back from verse 17, he essentially talked about the ministry performed in them and the very testimony left there that you've seen how I've done work there. You see now I've worked with you there. He was now instructing the pastors before he leaves. And he was telling them that I may not meet you again because I see ahead is bad. So they began to weep. 
And as they were weeping, then he shocked them. He said, why are you weeping? You're trying to break my heart then. For me, I'm willing to not only be put in jail for this gospel, but also to be killed for it. So that becomes such a challenge for this generation of pastors and bishops as you are. For a generation that really love themselves so much. And this is the tremendous battle that has beclouded the calling today. The calling of the priesthood, the calling of the clergy, the calling of the pastor and the bishop. Because now, there is a battle between your self-need, self-will, self-centered interests, and the gospel. And this opens for us such a wonderful door to understanding who qualifies to be sent of the Lord. Because he's saying he's willing to go die for this. I wonder how many of you would say this. That even as the Lord has sent you, you are willing to go die for this gospel. So he's saying essentially here that it's a race. He's running a race. And that he's duty bound. He's duty bound to deliver the gospel. And this is not anything different from what our Lord Jesus Christ himself did. Remember his first appearance as Melchizedek before Abram? He appears with bread and wine. In other words, duty bound. He has come and is bound on duty. He has come to do duty. But this is amazing because he's saying that there is a challenge then. And the more we move closer now to the tribulation, the more the days will be evil, the more there will be resistance to the gospel, the more you will meet a lot of persecution. And this becomes therefore very, very relevant to you at this hour. And so, to a generation that fears death, generation that has zero tolerance to pain, they cannot tolerate pain. They cannot take it. Are you able to really stand and say that I have been called by Christ Jesus the Lord and I am ready to go and be bound and jailed for this gospel and I'm still going to the extent that even if it's death, so be it, I'm ready to die for this. How many are we able to hear say this in this generation? And that's why I thought this was very important to share with you at this time that we are having the council meetings. I know that I've not shared with the other people. The other uh, three sessions, but they can take this from here. We can call them back because this continues. But this is such a challenge to this generation of pastors and bishops. Because most of the time the calling to pastor today, their notion of the calling to pastor or bishop is to go and achieve some comfort. To go and attain some comfort. But that is not what the Lord is saying in the Bible here, in this scripture that I've read here. He's saying, in the face of these trials, tribulation, he's willing to die. And he's not stopping there. He's going. He's going to Jerusalem. If you read from 17, you'd even have a great understanding. From my letters, that is where he called them. That's why he called the pastors he had raised from Ephesus to meet him because he wanted to cross to Jerusalem very fast. 
He says, For my letters Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. So he was actually using the testimony of how he lived with them. How many pastors are able to say that? To make reference to the testimony as to when you ministered there. The present day world full of scandals of money what? Sexual sin what? How many are able to say this? And he says, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility. Look at that. How many of you are able, as people sent by Jesus, to look back and tell them, please, make reference to the humility I displayed when I ministered before you, when I ministered among you. Instead, today there is lack of humility. Humility is like a dirty word. Nobody wants it. They want to be macho. They want to be strong to, to show that they are strong. And yet in humility is the strength of the Lord. So it says here, again he continues to say, humility with tears. He ministered to them with humility with tears. How many pastors or bishops are able to say this? Sometimes as you minister, I could say, uh, one person that I've seen, that uh, I, I know that I've been to places all over the world when I minister, people cry, they begin to weep because of the message I carry. But the person that I know is really, sometimes when I minister, you, you find that his tears are flowing, is Mike on his one. You find he's weeping as I minister. But how many of you are able to be at that point whereby if you contemplate what is ahead of these people, the hellfire that's ahead of them, and the wonderful salvation laid before them, served before them, then you weep for them. He says, with humility and with tears in the midst of serving, rather, in the midst of, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Look at that. Already there was persecution ongoing. The levels of persecution would increase because now ahead there, they would plan to kill him. Put him in jail or kill him. Verse 20 says, the book of Acts chapter 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from the house, and from house to house rather, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they, may that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So again he's saying that within the context of the opposition, he has not been ashamed of the gospel. He has not been shy to give the true gospel of repentance. Sometimes you hear people are fighting repentance. Sometimes you hear that repentance is difficult. There is opposition or what? Eh? Because we live in such a time when there is such a tremendous wickedness and that wickedness comes from the enemy and can only launch an opposition to the gospel you carry. But you tell me now, how many of you can testify to this that I stood no matter. I did not hesitate to tell you the truth no matter the resistance. So he was really referring them to a beautiful ministration that had happened over there. And he's saying even you now, in your place where you are as bishops, 
this ought to this ought to be the line, the script of your life, of your ministry. That no matter the resistance in whichever your stations are, you should be able to stand out and stand up and stand with the gospel of Jesus. Because if you contemplate the hellfire that is awaiting them and the enormous duty that is in your hands to help these people. In other words, they must know about Jesus for them to choose Jesus. So, whatever the circumstance, you have to go to them. You're duty bound. Hallelujah. But anyway, let me explain it, uh, explain it a little bit for you that you may understand this considering of their lives not worthy. You being the one saying this, that in the face of this mission Christ has given me as a bishop, as a pastor, I consider my life not worth it. Not worthy. In the face of this enormous salvation of Jesus. This enormous gospel ahead of me. So the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, step by step, Philippians chapter 1, I'm reading verses 21 down, maybe up to 26. And he says the following, Philippians 1, 22, that you may understand this. Why? He, he's now redefine, using this, he's going to redefine your calling now. He's going to give you a different composure and posture. You're going to develop a different stance on how you should pursue your calling. Verse 21 of Philippians chapter 1, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Look at that now. That's why he's saying, no. Even if the Spirit of the Lord is showing me that there is resistance ahead to the point where I'm going to be bound and put in jail for preaching this gospel, or to the point where I will be killed, for me, he says very clearly here again, verse 21, I read it together with you. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's saying, no. My life is not that much, that much worthy when it comes to Christ. So he is actually defining the true meaning of a servant. Somebody sent. Now, let me put it better this way. Let's start with the true meaning of a Christian. A born again Christian. You have to be born again before you are sent. And he's saying that he, he considers that he has died. Essentially, that's what he's saying. He died to this life. He died to the world. And so for him, he says, for me to live is Christ. Verse 21. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm um, to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So he is really opening up a very important discussion here. And he's saying that, by the way, if you did not know, I am born again. My person was already crucified with Christ. I don't want to go to Galatians 2 verse 20. We're going to read there. We're going to get there in a moment. Eh? I already died. So if you're telling me I'm going to die in Jerusalem, that is nothing to me. Let, let me give you some good news. I already died. It is Christ who lives in me now. 
I wonder how many of you as bishops and pastors are able to say this. In the face of resistance. Some of you just a little trial like this. You say, no, I'm not going jump. I'm now jumping out. You're now abandoning God. How about the sheep then? Just a little testing. God testing you. Like this. Sometimes not even you. Maybe just remember in your church or someone. And then you are so discouraged. You are now abandoning God. And yet we know that we are living when there will be greater resistance to the gospel. And all this I'm sharing is really how then if in this circumstance with the Holy Spirit here, in these conditions here, you cannot stand as a bishop. How then if you miss the rapture, how much more will you now fail to stand in the face of the Antichrist? Did you understand? So this really goes a long way to redefine your position as bishops and pastors that you may reconsider again how you've carried the gospel. Have you given it your all? He's saying here, for me, I am born again. The Spirit of the Lord is telling me that when I get to Jerusalem, they'll bind me. They'll chain me. Chain the tribulation await me. If you read other versions. Trouble awaits me. Even, there's going to be so much persecution there when I get there. Every city he went to, that's the dream the Lord showed him. The Spirit of the Lord revealed to him. And then he said, just a moment. I don't consider my life that much. In fact, for your own information, I just want you to know that I already lost my life. I don't know how many years ago. When, when, did, when did you, I know it's, most of you are going to say when you came. When did you receive the Lord, for example, General Chaka? The, the date. Just give me the date. How many years back? 17 years ago when he joined the ministry. Look at that now. So, it's, it, you could as well be saying, no, I don't consider my life that much worthy in the face of this gospel. So if they want to kill me in Jerusalem, then I just want you to understand, don't weep, don't weep. They were weeping in chapter 21, verse 13. Don't weep at me. Don't, don't break my heart. Just that you may know, my life I lost 17 years ago when I found Jesus. So, did you understand then? When I met the Lord, my, I was crucified already. It is Christ living in me now. But how many of you are able to say that? In a generation that is self-centered, full of self-will, they come to the pastoral calling, to the bishop's calling, for gain. For gain. They want gains that should give them comfort on the earth. Shouldn't this be the paradigm setter tonight? To, re, to reset your, your ministries. That the manner in which you carry the gospel has to change now. Some, most, some of you come for cars. That I may get a good car. Some of you get a home. Get a what? But he's saying to the contrary. He says something else here. About the calling of Christ to take the gospel. The calling you have. You bishops of the council. This entire college of bishops, plus those tuned in. And he's saying, <laughs> he has surprises for you. That in this calling, you should not be considering your life at all as being worthy of anything. But in this generation, it has been flip-flopped. 
It has been taken upside down. People come to seek comfort. Hallelujah. So if you find a servant, a bishop, an evangelist, a messenger sent with the gospel, who has killed sin on the cross, they will not fear death. That's what he's saying here. Could it be that this generation of clergy and pastors and the priesthood is so much in sin that they now fear death? And the, the, the physical death, the spiritual death, I'll open it up for you. We'll even read from book of Colossians chapter 3.13. But can you let me go step by step so I don't jump the gun and start shooting around, right? Hallelujah. Oh yes, I thought we needed to have this kind of conversation in our council meetings. I know that the agenda is big. I know that we have the one item is the consecration and the ordination of bishops. That's why you saw the gowns. You saw the ordination gowns for the different cadres of your callings uh, being displayed and we are going to push them also to send them abroad so that they can also send us their measurements and then some of them made here. I don't know if they will make abroad. The committee will decide. And then we have the compliance committee that was talking when I said let me chip in that it may benefit those having their lunch break. But you see very clearly here that the Lord is conversationing with you. He's saying that there is a certain stature of someone called with the gospel, sent with the gospel, called to serve Jesus and take the gospel to a perishing generation as you see today. And he's saying here that he does not consider his life at all. Why? Because if you receive Jesus five years ago, you say, because five years ago, I already lost my life. I already died to self. That, that, I, that I crucified on the cross. It is Christ Jesus walking in me. Living in me. How many of you are able to say that? In a generation that loves comfort, fears death. The fear of death. The sting of death is still in this generation. That means they are still keeping some sin around. Because if we read, we can even go right away there, the book of First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we can read 55 and 56, where you see the sting of death is sin. Let's jump to First Corinthians and come back to, to uh, again to Philippians. First Corinthians chapter 15. If you turn with me to verses 55 and 56, if you get time to get there, he says the following, verses 55, he says, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Did you understand now? Could it be that the reason the present generation of pastors and bishops and clergy, the priesthood of this day, the reason they fear death to the extent that they would rather quit ministry when they know that there is such a resistance that can endanger their lives ahead, could it be that that reason, that sting of death that is still stinging them is because they still harbor some sin. They carry some sin around. Is that what the Bible is saying right here? Hallelujah. Now they, the, the, the responses, the yes to me are reducing to nothing, to zero now. That's a good place to be. 
Because I thought we should confront this. Yes, we have to confront this. So that we may be able to sharpen the calling. Hallelujah. This is such a, a tremendous time. Helen, you can always move to the age, this age, so Michael's not blocking you. Yeah. So, this is such a time in the history of the church. Because, you know, take your stool and sit there. Yes, I don't have time for this. So, um, he's saying that the sting of death is sin. That on every occasion when you hear that if I go to preach to that country, that Islamic country, I'll be killed. They're planning to kill me. And then you quit or you run away. That means the sting of death is still stinging you. But he's saying here that the sting of death is the sting of death. I'm, I'm live on camera, Helen. Don't disturb me. So that means the sting of death is sin. He's saying that means there is still sin within the priesthood. And that is what I wanted us to confront. Hallelujah. Can we go back still to the book of Philippians chapter 1? That we may iron this out, right? These are serious conversations. And it will get more serious as we read on. And he says here, verse 23, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. How many of you today would tell me now that you desire to live? If just fasting alone, when we're doing our fasting here, you hear someone says, Oh, niliogopa sana. Nilifikiria sita ona ujioni. You see, so I feared so much, I didn't think I would see the evening. Huh? Just fasting alone, which is so important. You see how, how all of you are well trimmed now. Sharpened in your spiritual lives. Hallelujah. But I'm saying, for a generation that does not appreciate testing, does not appreciate persecution as an important instrument the Lord uses to sharpen you, to strengthen you, give you a testimony, to seize on you. Any little thing they jump out their tolerance for pain is very low, is zero. Their tolerance for suffering is zero. And that's why most of you thought that coming to be a bishop, coming to be a servant of God, coming to be a pastor here, is coming into a life of comfort. And so you got this false notion about being sent. That if a small thing happens, you want to jump out. And you come for gain, gain. You come for money. This generation, they come to preach to get money. They say, no, I want to go there and live better. But are you aware of this definition of the calling of God? Hallelujah. I thought it was important that we confront this. I kept this for some time. I knew that a time would come when I would have to confront you with this. You know, there's a time when you're on Leche con Cereale in, uh, in Spanish. It is called Serelac. used to be called Serelac, right? Milk. Leche is milk in Spanish. Uh, Ima. Ima. In Ifrit. When the mother gives you milk and cereals, you know, uh, Serelac, you know. But there is time now to eat ugali na skumawiki na nyama. The strong food for mature now. I think you are now, I waited for you to mature up a little so that I can now confront you with this. And to prove you wrong, 
that your notion about the calling of God in your life is wrong. Hallelujah. So this was important. I've been waiting. I've waited quite a long time. And longed for you to come that we may share this. And he goes on to say, he says, I'm torn between the two, but I desire to depart. In other words, I want to die. So what does he mean? Does he mean that for you to be called by the Lord, to be sent to the gospel, you should just put yourself in some risk where someone will kill you, stand up with the, with the machete and slash you? No, he does not mean this. <laughs> but he's saying in the face of the mission of Christ, you cannot back off. That if it means that your life will be put to danger, so be it. That's what he's saying here. But if you look at the present day crop of clergy, pastors, the priesthood, they, they cannot stand this. They don't have this in their vocabulary. That this calling, so if somebody had to come to you and tell you, this calling, the Lord is calling you to take the gospel, to preach the gospel, will involve giving, allowing, giving your life to death. Probably what, three quarters would not be here, or maybe 80% would not be here. But if that was to be part of the definition of the calling, that now you're being called by the Lord to take the gospel. But just know that on this journey you're going to lose your life. And you'll be buried six feet under. Probably most of you will not be here. Because this generation is a, is a generation of providence and comfort. They cherish comfort. They care more about their own personal comfort. The comfort of their families. They don't consider that it's, there is a nobler duty a nobler calling, nobler cause in their mission with the gospel. They think the gospel was meant to serve them. They think the kingdom of God was meant to serve them and their personal needs. No! We are meant to serve the kingdom of God. It is we to serve the kingdom. And that's why I said, when we begin these council sessions, there's so much that you'll be able to nourish from to be renourished with or nourished with for the first time. And he goes on to say verse 24. Again verse 23. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is much, much better by far. Look at that. How many of we, we, you would say that for you to die today is much better by far than being alive today? Doesn't that really throw into this whole uh, works here this time such a tremendous paradigm that should cause all of you to rethink your course and to redefine again your commitment to the gospel, to Jesus, to serving Him, to going for Him, to continuing His mission, right? Of taking the gospel to a perishing generation. And so these are some of the most important questions raised. And it goes on to say here, verse 25, again, verse 24 of uh, the book of Philippians 1, it says, But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And then it says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress, and enjoy, and rather, enjoy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, 
your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. What is he saying there? He said that for as long as I will remain here, I will continue to make gains for the Lord. I will serve the Lord. When I remain here, I will serve the Lord. But he has made it very clear that if you thought he's going to shrink from death, that taking the gospel will involve dying. And then that he would run away from that. That because in Jerusalem he has seen the dream, he's going to be bound and, 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 and persecuted. That if you thought that that would cause him to shy away, run away from taking the gospel, then you're mistaken because he's, make it, he's making it clear to you that no, for him, he already died with Christ on the day he met Jesus. He was crucified. So it won't shake him. But you know, this is such a generation whereby if somebody appeared here with a machine gun right now or an axe and a piece of wood and it began by taking one of you and asking, do you renounce Jesus or you still want to serve that Jesus? And the first one that said, I still want to follow Jesus. He put his head, his neck on that wood and is decapitated and he slashed off the cut of the head and then he moves to the next. How many of you would still stand with Jesus? None. It's very easy to raise your hand but <laughs> it is this generation. They will flee to see that the head has been cut off. They will run away. And that's the kind of challenge the Lord is raising here. He's asking serious questions to bishops, to pastors, to those that have been called to take the gospel to a perishing generation. That if you don't go, that generation goes to hell. You can see how much sin has eaten into this generation. And that you are calling to bring righteousness, to bring holiness to them, salvation to them, is a necessity. It's not something that you go if you want or not. You must go. And so, let's go back to our scripture again. And it says that this generation, let me just put it into context for you. That there is the fear of death. Even the Christians tuned in listening to me now. You have so much fear of death that if someone threatened your life, courtesy of the gospel, of the Christianity you behold, you, are, you would be quick to renounce it. You say, no, I'm not a Christian anymore. If he's going to call me to be killed, no. You, you, this generation love themselves so much. They have no conception, no understanding on the necessity of withstanding trials and temptations and, and testing, providence, Panyol, where God proves you to pass you through, through the refiner's fire. They have not factored that into their calling as a Christian, or as a pastor. And yet the Lord says that what Paul says here is not any different from what is expected of they that are fully committed unto the Lord. We remember the Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel, right? Let's begin from Daniel chapter 1. The Hebrew boys, can you imagine these are young boys who have been dislodged 
they have been cut off from Jerusalem, from their motherland. They are in a foreign land at the mercy of another master who has brutally injured and, and killed and maimed people on the other side. Killed them by this word. Then they are given food. The kingly diet. You just arrived like this. You've just arrived. And you know, you know in, your, in your own understanding, you would have thought that that's a favor. That you have been taken to the palace. You are going to get, 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 get eating some fat portions. But this was a prescription by the king. You have just arrived. You are a slave, a refugee. In fact, not a refugee, a captive. Prisoner of war. You have no rights. And then they brought them the fat portions and the wines and what have you from the king's table assigned to them by the king. And the person that is sent to give it to them says, you must eat it otherwise my neck will go. That is a Babylonian. He's an official that works there. How dare you resist that? Did you understand what it means to be committed to the Lord? Right from square one. They said, no. We will not eat this food. They stood in the face of resistance. In the face of persecution. Opposition. They said, not on the worshipping of my God. Not on my relationship with Jesus. No. I know that I am a refugee here. I know that I am a captive here. I have no right. You can slash my neck off any time. But in the face of my relationship with Jesus, you would rather kill me. Did you understand? Oh yes, I was speaking to this generation. A people that are self-possessed. The generation of providence. Where you have to go to school to better yourself. They take evening classes to get a better degree. To earn better that is life. Personal interest has taken center stage in this life. What should I do to get more money? What profession should I do to get a better job? They are so consumed with self-will. Self-centered with their lives. And yet he's saying, for those who are committed to the Lord, to serve the Lord, that this is their demeanor. Even when they were captives in a strange land with a brutal master, they said, not in between the relationship between me and Jesus. On that one you would have to kill me. Do you now understand the context, the contextualization of what Paul was saying. That there are certain things that are irreducible in your calling as a bishop, in your calling as a pastor. That if you just walked into that law firm, you are newly employed as a young lady lawyer, and this you have been looking for a job for six years, or three years, let me cut into half. You've been tarmacking and you need money. You need the job. And then the first day you arrive like this and then your boss makes these wicked, immoral advances towards you. And you are supposed to stand up and say, No! Even in the face of this, I'd rather walk in and walk out. But not on my salvation. Did you understand? 
I'm speaking to a generation of compromise. A democratic people. A people that have human rights. They have a latitude. They say they have a democratic space. They have factored in all due considerations of their personal interests. And they have, they have packaged them in human rights or personal rights or feminine rights or male rights, whichever child rights. They, they have done it so well. So that they have a whole spectrum, an array that should take care of their personal interests. That is the generation I'm talking to. But can you figure this? Can you position yourself in the place of the Hebrew boys? You are captives. You've just arrived. You are prisoners of war. And then you are given the fat portions, the diet of the king. And then you stand up and say, No, we are not doing this. You know the killers. Because on the worshipping of our God, no, we will not allow this. And if you move on now, to the book of Daniel chapter 3. You find a statue there. You find a what? A statue there. Another resistance. Another persecution. Another trial. Another moment of testing. Are you still going to stand with Jesus? You find Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You, let's read it. Let's read it. Can we turn to the book of Daniel chapter 3, 16, 18? Daniel chapter 3. I didn't mean to do this, blessed people. Am I injuring somebody? I'm just saying that you need to sit down and redefine the calling that you have. I'm saying the hour to resharpen your calling is now. To examine your heart and weigh, take your heart and put in that scale. Put it on that scale and weigh it. Do you measure up to the calling that's defined in this book? In this wonderful oracle of God? The manual of God, right? The book of Daniel. Hallelujah. Turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 3. I'm reading 16 and 18. Isn't this such a nourishing time? And we have such a big feast ahead of us here. I know all of you have been fasting. You're very hungry, hungry like lions and lionesses. But uh, I mean... It's good to be hungry then, right? Yeah, it's good to be hungry than full, right? Yes, thank you. It's also healthy the doctors tell you that, right? Hallelujah. Daniel chapter 3.16 And are uh, the team that are working out there also tuned in? Senior Bishop Joanne Mutai? Dr. JJ, the one normally who does that verification. You just make sure they don't miss this. I would hate to hear that somebody missed this on the account of busyness. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I didn't want anyone to remain behind. So this really defines two cadres of calling. The calling to be a Christian and the calling to carry the gospel. So there you go now. This is the hour to redefine your calling. Because right ahead of us is a great resistance. Great persecution. The Bible said the days are evil. They'll get worse. The book of Daniel chapter 3, if you're ready to read with me. The book of Daniel 3, once you're ready, we read together. I'm reading 16 and 19. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you 
on this matter. How many of you would do that? Just that alone. This has been brought to the attention of the king that you refuse to bow down to the statue. He's angry, even said things like, if I get into my hand, which God can deliver you from my hand? Hallelujah. General Chaka, very powerful here. No, I thought this was important conversation I needed to hold here. Senior Deputy Bishop General Chaka, you've been doing a great job. So he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. In other words, we are serving a God that is able to deliver man from the lake of fire. Some of you are burning sticks already snatched from the fire. So what is this you fear, the spiritual death or physical death? Which should you fear more? The spiritual death. So why do you fear mere man that can simply destroy the body eh? but never destroy the soul instead of fearing the Lord that can destroy both into the lake of fire? He's saying we serve a God that has already removed me from the lake of fire. Hallelujah. I mean, this conference didn't, we didn't mean to take this direction, but I know people are making notes in other places also. Hallelujah. No. He said, we have to re-examine how we stand with Jesus, our stand before the Lord. For a generation that is very porous, always compromising, they believe in negotiations. Let's reach some middle ground. Last weekend we had a well, I mean last Tuesday we had a situation here. Well, <laughs> well no, 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 we should send a team of technocrats to go and find out and negotiate it out. <laughs> Matters of God are unnegotiable. They are non-negotiable. They are not negotiated in boardrooms. The Lord is the commander of the heavenly hosts. His word is final. Hallelujah. Then he says. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. How many of you are able to stand for Jesus that much? When there is rage, the instruments of power have turned against you. You are a mere refugee, a captive, a prisoner of war. You have no rights. You are at their mercy. They are trying to negotiate a way out here to save your life. And you throw yourself in front and say, no, finish me. On the matter of my worship with my God, on this one, you're going to have to finish me. You love to slaughter me on this one. How many of you would say that? Would do that? The whole nation has come to a stop. They are, the king is addressing you. Are you going to bow or be slaughtered? How many of you would give in? And how many of you, of you would still remain standing? I think almost everybody would say, Let me just eat something small here. 
Which is worse? Is it the physical death or the spiritual death? The spiritual death. The second death is worse. And so he says this here very clearly. And he says, but if he does not deliver us from the furnace, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God that you have set up. How many of you are able to maintain your position no matter what? Did you understand when Paul said, I am still going to Jerusalem. I'd rather go be bound there. Or if you are worried about me being jailed, me I am ready to even die. Because the real me already died on the day I met Jesus. Oh yes. Probably I should have saved this message for the Wednesday service. But I thought this was such a befitting message to address your calling. To address your calling. Yeah. The flamboyancy and the pomp and color that you've decorated around your callings. Now look. Now look what the Bible says. He says there is a war. There is a fight. There is persecution. He's saying the Christian life is not a walk into a rose garden. Just walk in there, smell the roses and enjoy the beauty of nature. No. It is a fight. A brutal fight. A bitter fight. The enemy is not ready to relent to allow you continue worshipping Jesus. And the more the days, you know, mature and season towards the tribulation, the more the resistance and the persecution, the more you'd rather be prepared for these things. I'm not saying you're going through the tribulation. But you can see even today there's resistance. There are countries where you cannot even preach the gospel right now. There are countries where you cannot even rebuke homosexuality right now. So these things are already happening. But are you able to stand your ground? And say no. On the matter of Christ Jesus, no. Now continue worshipping Jesus. The worst you can do is to kill me, but I mean, that to me is to be with the Lord. How many Christians can say that today? Aye. And then, so you see very clearly that when they stood, then and delivered them. Hallelujah. So how many of you are able to stand the full length? What to call the whole nine yards until you are delivered? In a generation that, oh, a slight headache, oh, give me that painkiller. They even prescribe it unto themselves. They know what doses befit them when. Aye. They know them by names. And so, it is not easy. So, what Paul was saying it's not any different from what you should be saying. That's what the, that, that's, that is what the Lord is saying to you today. That should have been your scripture narrative. That on this matter of the gospel, I'm ready to go, even be jailed, to suffer, to stand, even to die for it. And if you move on to Daniel chapter 6, you find again Daniel now. 
He is told he cannot worship his God. He cannot. And it amazes me that when the decree was made by the malicious group, according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, a law that cannot be changed. So now, and that law required that they worship the king, or whatever the case, the, the idol, yeah? and for 30 days, it's amazing to me that when Daniel was aware that they have signed it into decree, that is when he went to his normal place with the window still open, where they could see him to worship there. Aye! That is when he now went upstairs to worship. How many of you are able to do that? A generation that really loves their lives. You love your lives so much. Daniel 6, can you read with me? We don't have time to read it all. Daniel 6, we start from 10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room, to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And he knew that they were going to look at him, they were going to see him there. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, and giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. How can they find you doing that? When they have said you cannot do it, they went, it's what's called, they caught him red-handed. Praying and asking his God for help. In Swahili, they say machukizo. Eh? He's provoked their anger worse. He's even still praying, not only praying, but asking his God to help him on this thing where we want to nail him on. Where we want to nail him. Pro provocations. He knew that if there was time for him to stand with his God, this was it now. But look at how the Lord delivered him. How many of you are willing to, to agree to be thrown into a den of lions? I, 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 I. Even just to see a lion from afar, you start running. How many of you would be willing for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your salvation, to withstand such an extreme trial and testing? That is better that, that that it is better that you die, eaten up by those lions, than to bow down to idols. And if you look at the present day church, the pastors and the bishops have bowed. They have worshipped other things in the name of compromise. You can it's a whole myriad. You can begin from, begin from interfaith to everything else, to the money thing going on. You know. Oh, there you go. How many of you have failed to rebuke homosexuality because you fear in your countries, those tuned in by radio, in your countries it's legalized that if you do so, they will put you to jail. And then he says, no. Jail, that's the easier one. But I'm ready to even die to stand for the gospel. The true meaning of I am not ashamed of the gospel. Hi. Listen people, are you still ready for this? 
It's such a time, you know, in the history of the church. We saw what happened to Simeon. Simeon was willing to go. And he says the sting of death is sin. Could it be that there is sinfulness at the pulpit? And that's why every time they hear about death, they shrink. If there is a sting, the sting of death is still stinging them. Why? Blessed people. Can you turn with me? We don't have much time. To the book of Mark chapter 8. And I know those who have gone back to offices have gone. Mark chapter 8. I need to just summarize this and leave it at this. Mark chapter 8, 35, 36, blessed people. If you are still with me. You say, I am saying heavy words, crazy words, right? To you. Very good words. Words that will cause you to rethink these so-called comfort zones you've been building around yourselves in this calling. Hallelujah. You say, Mark chapter 8, I'm reading 35 and 36. He says the following. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul, forfeit their soul? Hallelujah. Are you beginning to understand where we are talking at? He's saying that the Lord Jesus defined what it means to be born again. So what Paul was saying, what Daniel is doing, what the Hebrew boys are doing, was not any different from the definition God gave for being born again. They are simply doing what has happened to them, that they have received Christ. No wonder Christ appeared in the lion's den. No wonder Christ appeared in the furnace, the blazing furnace. Luke chapter 9, 23, you know that too, right? We can read that too. So you may understand why he said, no, I'm ready to die. Because the real me actually died on the day I met Christ. It has been Christ Jesus living in me, carrying this gospel. So if you say you're going to kill me, oh, that is to be with the Lord. How many of you in this generation, when you're still contemplating raising up your children, you want to see them grow up, you want to do this, you're soothing yourself, massaging yourself with things around, eh? trying to comfort your zones. How many of you? There, there is a problem, right? I think there is a problem. It may, it may not be a small problem. It may be a big one. Where you thought the calling to serve Jesus is a calling to go into pomp and color and, and, and flamboyance and, and, uh, and money to pursue money and wealth that has been the norm today. The Lord is saying, no, there is a different script here. In the Word, in the Bible itself. Luke chapter 9, if you don't mind. Hallelujah. What a transforming time this is today. Luke chapter 9. He says, verses 22 to 24, he says, once you're ready, we read. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, 
and he must be killed on the third day. Rather, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's saying, Jesus is not telling you to do what he himself has not done. Hallelujah. Let us see what he prescribes to you then, verse 23. And then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Did you understand now? Have you understand now the contextualization, to put in perspective what Paul was saying on his mission to Jerusalem? He's saying that should be what you are saying too. Who, what kind of salvation is this that you received Christ and you say you are following Christ and you still maintained your old life, old self? You have not lost your old life? Jesus is simply defining those that are his followers from which pool he calls people to carry the gospel. Is the present day generation of pastors really born again? They fear death. They fear to die. Hallelujah. They fear to die. They don't want persecution. No. And he says, uh, let me finish just one more and then I'll call it quits. If you want, I can go to Luke 14:26, which is just next door. Then I'll read one more from John. Luke 14:26. He says the following. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, and hate does not hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Why? So the Lord was simply talking about salvation. Paul was simply saying that he is born again. That if you have come to Christ, you must hate father, hate mother, hate wife, hate sister, hate brother, hate who, hate friends, and then hate own life also. Hi. You must not love your life. And he's saying, he's simply defining to you the path that leads to the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that only those that have hated their lives in this life will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that those that have not hated their lives in this life, they instead have loved their life in this life, cannot see the kingdom of God. Can I just read the book of John chapter 12, verses 25-26, then crown it up and finish this? To explain it better for you. John 12, 25-26. Then I will close it down. He says the following. Once I get to read it. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Look at that now. He's defining the path that goes to the kingdom of God. I know all of you want to go to the kingdom of heaven. You want to enter heaven. But he's defining for you here the path that leads to the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, in other words, 
that when you compare life on this earth with the new Jerusalem that I saw, whose description I didn't have words to give you, I was simply trying to give postures, descriptions, synonyms, similitudes. It looks like this, as though white and with gold-plated what? All these things. He's saying, in, in view of that heaven of God, life on this earth should appear like hell. Hell fire. That you should hate it. He's saying, like Lot was tormented in Sodom, so should you be in this life. Hallelujah. He's saying, you cannot love your life on this earth and see the kingdom of God. But when I look at the pastors of this day, the bishops of this ministry, they love their life on this earth so much. He says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you hate your life in this life. I have waited so long to confront you with this. I wanted to nurture you until you are somebody. Then now, finally challenge you with this and see how you, 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 you take this to sharpen yourself. Hi. He says, verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So that's such a powerful statement right there. And then he says, you that serve him, that you must be where he is. That where he is, you must go. If he goes to the cross, you must carry your cross. And he's saying that right now he is in heaven. So whoever serves him, if you go to the book of John 14, which you are not reading now, verse 3, he says, he will come back. He's going to prepare a place for you in heaven. He will come back and take you that you may be where he is. Whoever serves me must be where I am. And he's saying that there are some benefits the Lord is presenting to you for rejecting your life on this earth. Can I summarize for you what the Lord is saying? He's saying, no. You cannot live your life on the earth here like people who are not born again and get to the kingdom of God. Never! That is essential what he's saying. You cannot be living your life on this earth like people who are atheists. Born again bishops, born again pastors, but living like atheists and expect to enter heaven. He said it's not possible. You must hate your life on this earth. He's saying, you cannot live your life on this earth like the enemies of Jesus do. And then expect to enter heaven. You cannot live your life on the earth here like people who do not know Jesus. In immorality and lust and what. And then expect to enter heaven. Did you understand me, you people? May the Lord bless you. Thank you. Toda shalom. Can I lead everybody to the Lord? Say, mighty Lord Jesus. I repent tonight and turn away from sin and receive you in my heart as my Lord and Savior. Please renew the calling in my heart and cause me to reject my life on this earth that I may see the glorious kingdom of God. Today I reject sin and take holiness and righteousness. In the mighty name of Jesus, I am born again. Amen.
The Lord bless you. Thank you.